You're listening to an episode of the Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life podcast with your host, Kim Olver. This is Kim, and welcome to the 194th episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. If you like today's episode, be sure to leave me a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and share with your friends on social media. Just don't forget to tag me at Olver International. Today, we'll be continuing our conversation about mental freedom with one of our soon-to-be-certified mental freedom practitioners, Tina Lee Odensky-Zess. Tina is a skilled learning and development expert who has over 20 years' experience designing and delivering custom content for enhancing individual leader and team performance. She has led L&D initiatives across corporate, nonprofit, and university settings. Her track record as a coach has helped entrepreneurs in all phases, established corporate leaders and social impact projects set and achieve goals. She's passionate about applied creativity, design thinking, and guiding others to realize hidden potential. Thank you so much, Tina, for joining us today. Thank you, Kim. My pleasure, Tina. I wanted to spend today talking about your experience with mental freedom personally and the experience you've had using it with your clients. So if we could start with letting us know, what did you get out of your mental freedom experience? It's always interesting because I was a teacher for a very long time, a professor at the university, and I always felt like I was the best student because I was a forever student. Whenever you want to teach and teach well, you always have to have a student mindset. So I really like the approach that you take with mental freedom, where you want anyone who wants to be a practitioner of it to really experience it as a client first. It was surprising. I buy into the concept because I think that you're very wise, and I think that the program when you were talking about it, discussing it, pitching it, providing the skeleton of it to everybody. I really connected with it. But as you often say, it's a process of, yeah, you can connect with it with your head, but once it goes to your heart, then it can come out your hand and you can really be the practitioner. And you don't get it and you won't get it until you go through that mental freedom experience. So for me, it was, wow, Oh, wow. Yeah. The wow is this. I like to learn visually. You wouldn't give me visuals, you know, and I know why. I understand it had to be intense and focused. And the psychoeducational approach is something that I didn't really understand going into it, but I really got it once we were repeating the sessions. And I was seeing how you prepared them and how everybody interacted around them. So for me, I think one key word to understanding the mental freedom experience is you can't deny when you're going through it. There's no denying how you're really feeling. There's no hiding who you really are. And there's no burying any stories because what you intend to share will shift if you're in a group 
you hear how other people are opening themselves up and they are surprising themselves how open they are becoming with complete strangers that's being recorded. The vulnerability factor really sets you up for success. If you're open to the experience, you're going to get a lot out. I was open and little did I know that there would be a milestone in my life happening parallel to this experience. Do you want to share what that was? Because it was big. I'm a grown woman. I'm married. I have kids. But one thing that you cannot escape is you age. And if you're aging, so are your parents. It just so happened that my father passed away in the middle of the mental freedom experience for me. Coming to terms with things that were unfinished business. Yes. And making sure that they were tidy for me, even if they were untidy for others. That was epic. The mental freedom experience really gave me tools to be a little bit more objective and to not be selfish, but to understand very clearly that I could not care for others and how they were feeling. I had to make sure I was taking responsibility for my own relationship, open and closure with my father. That had to be everybody individually having that for themselves. I couldn't tidy it up for my father and other individuals. It wasn't my role or responsibility. Right. And it's so much easier to deflect whatever work you have to do by trying to help other people do theirs. It's very easy to get stuck in that. But I'm glad that you recognize that you had your own work to do. And because responsibility is our first session of mental freedom, that you had that and were able to focus on what is my responsibility before you even think about what you can be responsible for. So I'm really happy that that happened for you. I know that you're mostly in the business world, and I believe that you've said to me, you think mental freedom will really work well with business and corporate clients. Can you tell me what makes you think that? There's uh, several different factors that we have at play right now in the world. Number one, at the macro level, we see that companies are talking. I don't know if they're walking the wellness issue in the workplace because of COVID and it becoming very clear that people were struggling and it really hasn't all gone away. Things opened up again, but somehow people are still having a lot of time behind a screen by choice for that matter. But the implications of it are very challenging at this time. Also with the crisis of what is wellness is the opposite of wellness illness. There's many issues that are happening as a global force that are getting individuals as employees, leaders, and companies to reevaluate how they manage relationships in the workplace. And you think mental freedom can address that? Yes. I was shaking my head. No, not that I wanted to interrupt you, but I was just basically agreeing that the opposite of wellness is not illness. 
it's a continuum and we all have a certain degree of wellness and we all have a certain degree. I don't even like illness because it has been touted that people have physical challenges with their brain, whether it's chemical imbalances or it's an illness that just invaded your body. It's not, it's distress. People have their own level of distress. And you certainly had distress when your father died. It doesn't mean you were mentally ill. It means you had distress. We have distress over things. It could be that we put on our favorite outfit and it doesn't fit anymore. That can be distressing. It could be because we have a bad hair day. That can be distressing. But wellness is being able to handle those distressing things. It's about resilience and having tools to be able to manage that so that that distress doesn't take you out. It can take you out for an hour, five minutes, or weeks at a time, months at a time, and even years at a time for some people. The opposite of wellness is not illness, in my opinion. Did you want to say anything more about using mental freedom in the business world? If you look at any of the headlines right now, you will see two major things that are connected. One is artificial intelligence. And the other one is human layoffs at scale. There's no lack of understanding that this is not a coincidence, that it is how will we value humans' creativity, collaboration, relationships going forward when people who have given a good chunk of their career and devotion to companies to be successful, and then they're so successful that they can let these people go. I see a lot of pain. And the only way you can cope with it is rewrite your story. Mental freedom, if nothing else, helps you get there faster if you choose it. You may want to wallow for a little while. You might want to join the sad club for a little while because you're going to be mourning some losses, but you got to also create the space for some new things in your life. And you can't do it if you're not mentally free. It's right there in the name in neon colors. Blink, blink. Yeah, yeah. You know that the mental freedom model has those three phases open your heart, free your mind, transform your life. And in each phase, it has two principles or tools that go with that phase. What areas of the model do you find most challenging or impactful so far, whichever one you want to speak to, or you could speak to both? I know it might seem simplified, but for me, it's the first two, because If you're a giver, it's easier for you to give than to receive like it has been for me. It feels good to be responsible. Mm -hmm. For the right things. Yes. (laughs) And it can be inappropriate, actually. I understand that now. Taking responsibility for what is not yours is actually wrong. Let's be honest, maybe it's gotten me in trouble before. Mm. You can't unhear it. That's the thing about mental freedom. It sticks with you and it rises up when you least expect it, like Jiminy Cricket on your shoulder. Now, is that your responsibility (laughs) (laughs) or not? 
That one was very good, but I think the second one, and I love that I misinterpreted it. The unconditional trust challenge, I took it very literally at first to unconditionally trust. You asked us to pick a particular person, and I did. This was a new person on my radar, and I unconditionally trusted them every time I wanted to feel awkward or uncomfortable or project what my expectations on that relationship, I couldn't because I had offered up that person for unconditional trust. However, when I clarified it with you in a supervision session, you're like, no, 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 it's not exactly literal, Tina. Now read it again, reflect on it again, and unconditional trust in the true meaning of it is that you have to trust that other people are going to always be doing what's best for them at any given time to protect their need, to protect their priorities. It's not against you. It's for them. That is freedom right there. Can you say how? Because I hear you and I know it's true, but for our listeners, how is that freedom? Because it doesn't mean you can make people do what you want them to do. So how do you get freedom if people are walking around doing what's best for them? Well, what are you doing then? Are you really doing what's best for you? And what is your pattern of doing what's best for you? At the same time, I have a very good friend. He's a judge and he's a mediator. He's a judge who believes in mediation. That's a special person. Very, very special person. In unconditional trust, the freedom there is that you don't want to lose and you don't want them to lose either. That's a principle of mediation. Win-win negotiation. Yeah. If you can put it into context, you can both have empathy for yourself and empathy for the other and stop looking at it as they're doing something to me. They're not. They're not. And when you can realize that, that is what I meant about freedom. That is relief. Yeah, because it's not personal anymore. You don't have to get your feelings all wrapped up in that. That how could you do this to me? You disrespected me, you this, you that. Yeah, it is completely freeing and feels so good. And it doesn't mean that you're going to continue the same relationship you had with that person because with the unconditional trust challenge, you gain clarity about what people want, what their priorities are, and the best behavior they have to get them. So when you have that clarity, you can have compassion for them, but it may not mean that you are going to have the same relationship because then you have the responsibility, going back to the first one, to decide what kind of relationship do I want to have with this person going forward? Sometimes it means you don't want to have any at all. Sometimes it means you want to dive right in because now you see how great they are. And there may be any other variety of that boundary setting, distance. There's all kinds of things that we can do once we trust someone to be who they are instead of who we want them to be. Thank you for that. I know we've had conversations, you and I, about the mental freedom community expanding. How do you see that happening? There are so many different models out there to coach and to also give therapy, many. But as you onboard more people and they start to find their niches, it's not an area that I think people are going to feel like in competition with each other. 
as practitioners, I think they're going to feel how can we continue to learn from each other? Because you can't really copy someone when you're doing mental freedom. There are principles there. And then there are stories that you share and stories that emerge from the people that you're serving, whether it's a group or an individual. There will be stories that lift us all up and that get shared across the community. That's on a practitioner level. I also do hope to see that we take some of the lessons we learn and we share them in research. Maybe that manifests as webinars or conferences or workbooks or some toolkits that we can share. That's what I think it's going to grow from the people I did the mental freedom experience with. Those participants, it was so cool to hear their specific type of client that they're going to work with and their specific context. The rabbi, he was fascinating. It intimidated me at some points with some of the therapists and the really tough work they're doing and how they're going to use the models. I know that you tried to give me some confidence that I don't have to use it in that way because I don't feel comfortable with it going there. But as coaches, and I've seen it and heard it from other business coaches or executive coaches, that it's not uncommon that sometimes you go into territory that would require the help of an intervention from a counselor or a therapist. And then you just have that in your contract with the client that if that arises, that you help to refer them to someone who can help them in those areas. Sometimes people have multiple. They have mentors, they have coaches, and they have therapists. It's the modern world. Yeah. When we started our conversation before we actually recorded, you said you had created something for a mental freedom toolkit. Would you share that and describe it for the audience because they won't be able to see it? As I said, I'm visual. So when we didn't have visuals, it was also challenging for me, but it was also good because it forced me to use my imagination. In a way, I just made a one-pager so that it will have a little synopsis of what you get. What I used was a flock of birds as my analogy. Let's say the lead bird, who is in the highest position at the front, has the olive branch in its beak. Now, why is that? Because that represents what is mental freedom to me. It's peace, peace of mind. And in the storm of people's emotions, that is priceless. To me, that is the goal because we have to try to get there every day. Like, how can we have good sleep? We can have good sleep if we're feeling peace of mind. How can we create and have a blank canvas? Well, when we can settle ourselves down, clear our minds, and be open to creating something new. So for me, that's what mental freedom's goal is for everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what are the steps a coach would use to get there? So we have that psychoeducational approach where you're actually teaching the client the tools. And then there's the systems thinking where you're getting them 
to be in a frame of mind where they can change perspectives and go from this very broad contextual perspective to this middle ground where they're seeing the context of their environment or the conditions of the situation, whether that be at the workplace or the home, and then within themselves as individual at that micro level. Systems thinking understands that all of these things are operating at the same time. Some people who are practitioners that have gone through the training already are well-versed in choice theory. And some who are like me had to get more deeply introduced to William Glasser and choice theory that you've been dealing with for decades, Kim. Also, a big component of mental freedom is the storytelling. It's almost as if for the group classes, if you can imagine a bonfire, and we're all talking around the bonfire, and it gets real quiet when people are sharing a story. And almost the quiet creates a space where everybody is supporting the person as if there's virtual hands on them saying, you can do it. We are creating a safe space. You can go as light or as deep as you want to. And that is a very powerful place. And it it seemed to happen every single time we would have a session. So I think that storytelling component, even though the word gets overused, is really key to this. And then there's that dimension of mental health not being illness, but mental health and wellness is where are we creating the conditions that we can have a prioritizing of our mental health in our choices and our behaviors. And that leads to whose problem is it anyway? And if you realize whose problem it is, you realize that it's all about your self-control and your awareness. And then the last thing is, and this is also something that I really appreciated and we haven't gotten to yet, and that is how can we change negative to neutral or positive? We don't always have to change negative to positive, but we should be able to get it into a place where we neutralize it and it doesn't own us anymore. Those are the keys in the mental freedom coaching toolbox. Thank you for sharing that. Was there anything in mental freedom that was challenging for people who are listening? Any cautionary tales you would tell? Because there's that safe space, you do see people in others. I saw them going very, very light, but that was only what was coming out of their mouths. They were very deep in thought, and you can tell by the way their voice would quiver or the way they would pause. And then there were also, like myself, I'm pretty trusting and vulnerable. So I shared, I would say it would sometimes even be an overshare, but I never had the, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that moment. But it was close. But then I knew I chose to share. Right. And I owned it. And that was it. Yeah. And I think that when you chose to do that, it freed other people in the group to say the deeper things that they were thinking. So it was helpful that you did that, not only for you, but for others. And that's another thing. I just want to underscore that 
One of the things about mental freedom for me is that you don't have to tell me how you're using these concepts. I'm going to ask you and you can tell me whatever you tell me. You can make it up. You could tell me something that is inconsequential, or you could tell me your deepest heart's processing of the information. It doesn't matter because you have the information and you can use it on your own. I don't have to be a voyeur into your internal processing. I love when people share because then I can give more specific comments, feedback, processing of the information. But if you want to protect that and hold it close, you can. I'm not going to pry into that personal space. I like that mental freedom can help whether you tell me what's plaguing you or not. You don't have to say it. People can feel safe enough to be involved in this. They don't have to think, oh my God, if I go, I'm going to have to share my deepest, most thoughts and feelings. You don't, but I would also say you'll probably get more from it if you do. That's your choice. You go as far as you want. And that expression you get out of it, what you put into it is really true. You'll have the information to be able to use for the rest of your life. Let's leave mental freedom for a minute and talk about you personally and ask what inspires you as a coach and a mentor. I know you're both. It goes back to the way you introduced me. And that's like both is the hidden potential because sometimes people do not clearly see how they describe themselves, how they describe what they want, how they describe their past, their present, their future. And they don't see the patterns that emerge. And I see them. But I'll tell you one thing I don't do I don't show it back when they're not ready. It's not about me being so clever and intuitive if it's not going to be helpful and it's not the right timing. Before, I was so eager to help that I would share sometimes when people weren't ready. And I have totally learned my lesson that sometimes a pregnant pause and holding it. There's one on a workshop and there was two other people. And when I was describing how I coach, they were saying, oh, that sounds just like Nancy Klein. I, at the time, didn't know Nancy Klein, so I did a little research. There's one quote, and it's something like this. Is what I have to say more important than what the client has to think? That's a good question. Because as a coach, isn't it great? Yep, I like it. I do like the term thinking partner as a coach. And I definitely feel like I've had that approach as my default setting. Just because I enjoy talking doesn't mean it's right all the time. And just because I love sharing knowledge doesn't mean that they need the knowledge I have to offer. They might just need me to get ears like an elephant. Mm Mm-hmm. And just listen and witness and and be there. And listen wide open. Yeah, I like that. Thank you, Tina. Do you have a website or anything where I can send people who may want to work with you? I know as soon as you wrap up your certification, which we're going to do in two sessions, 
you can, if you choose, be my website as a mental freedom practitioner. So you'll be able to find Tina relatively quickly. On the Older International site under mental freedom, we have a directory of coaches and counselors who have been certified in mental freedom. So you'll be able to find her there. But I didn't know if you would have your own where people might be able to find you. I'm in the process of putting mine together. It's all about this feel that I want to have. I like it very creative, but I don't want to be in anyone's face. It's more styling rather than content I'm waiting for. So for now, best to reach me on LinkedIn. Okay, It's my favorite platform and I'm there very frequently and I post constantly. So please connect with me there. All right. I'll put the link to your profile in the show notes. I really appreciate you joining us today, Tina, and sharing so much about your mental freedom experience. It was great. And I think the audience must appreciate it, especially your transparency and your honesty. Thank you so much. Thank you, Karen. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and remember to leave a review and share with your connections on social media. I also hope you'll join me next week when we'll be starting our month on leadership with Mary Maduna Gross. I'm looking forward to it. Talk with you then. This has been another thought-provoking episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. To listen to past episodes, please visit our website at lifeequalschoices.com or listen wherever you download your podcast. And don't forget, remember to subscribe.